going over um, as we head into the new year. Um, we have a uh, series planned on um, a theology of sexuality, which I'm still working on, and we'll need approval on from the from the elders before I move forward on that and pass it on to them to take a peek at it. But we'll uh, we'll be getting there by the end of January, end of this month. So um, next couple weeks, um, we're going to fill in with a few things that have just kind of been rattling around in my head. So that's that's where we're going tonight. In particular, since uh, we're in a new year, um, there's usually things go on in our heads and minds, right? Um, if we're, um, I don't know about you, but if I usually, there's a, it's always nice to have a starting point somewhere along, even if it's totally artificial, which New Year's is basically a fairly artificial starting point. Um, for, in college, I remember it was whenever this quarter was over, it was like life restarted. I just pretended that the last quarter didn't happen, and the new one starts, and you get new notebooks, new pencils, all this kind of stuff, new roommate, whatever you had to do, and start over again. So New Year's is kind of like that, and you may have done those kinds of things. You make resolutions, you get a new calendar or update to what you've got, you update your context list, you clean up your desk, maybe not, whatever. Um, and there's always, in all the newspapers and all the articles and all the web pages, it's all you know the top ten things of last year and the top ten news stories. And then you look back going, I can't believe those are the top ten news stories. They're awful. And, and what's going to be the next year and all those kinds of things. And we, um, we tend to resolve to do something different, don't we? We tend to think, what should I be doing different? Um, and I will just say it up front tonight that um, that's, that's a good thing, despite what I might say. Um, doing some things is, is important. The New Testament and the Scriptures are full of things that we're called to do. Um, and so activity um, is um, very much a part of the Christian life, and, and putting those things in order is a good thing. But there's something that comes before that, um, and what comes before it is, I think, inactivity. And uh, when we get it mixed up and we just launch into, here's what I need to do, Usually, and we've all experienced it, so this is nothing new, we get worn out, we get tired, we discouraged, we get defeated, and, um, or we're really good at that for a while, and it just kind of goes very well, but eventually it kind of un- unravels somewhere along the line. But if we understand the inactivity first, um, which is a spiritual exercise, then the activity flows from that place, and the activity has a life in it because it has a spirit in it. Um, and so we're going to look at a resolution to do nothing tonight, a resolution to do nothing. And I give you permission to say, I resolve this year to do nothing within the context of what I say, okay? Um, resolve to do nothing. Well, we, take notes. <laughs> we won't put it on the Internet. Um, we're going to uh, look at a passage from Mark 10. You can turn to Mark 10, familiar stories, and we're going to contrast uh, children, group of children, and we're going to contrast them with a man. The children that come to Jesus and the rich young ruler. We're going to contrast God's kingdom and the principles by which it works and the world's kingdom and the principles by which it works, which is where we usually find ourselves falling into way more often. We're going to look at the kingdom we've been reborn into as opposed to the one that we were all first born into and which in our too many moments we default to all the time because it speaks to us so loud and so clear. So let me pray, and then I'm going to read this passage, and then we're going to contrast these two different groups here. Lord, I would, um, 
The scripture says that apart from you, we can do nothing. And there's really no subtitles underneath that. It's just a statement. And it's a statement of truth. And Lord, I would ask that as we look at your word, which is, you know, as we trust your spirit to speak to us, as we're resting a bit anyways, wanting to hear, um, that we could um, take a step, each of us, to being gripped by just you and just being with you and just doing nothing in your presence. And that in that place, then we would find ourselves empowered and moved into the things that you have for us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 10. I'm going to start with verse 13, and I'm going to stop at verse 22. So Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 22, it says this. They were bringing children to him, that's Jesus, that he might touch them, and the disciples were rebuking them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant And he said to them, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. I wasn't going to say this later, but the word indignant is very strong. Um, It doesn't get used a lot in reference to him. And there was, um, he was mightily opposed in his spirit to what was happening. And that tells us that we've got to listen and pay attention to what was taking place here. He was indignant and said to them, and I don't think he said it in a whisper. I think he made them very clear. Listen to what I have to say here. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So he took them in his arms, he blessed them, and he laid his hands on them. Now as he was setting out on his journey... A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? For no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, and honor your father and mother. And the man said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. Interesting, the story starts out with children coming, and there's an invitation here to come. But disheartened, verse 22, by the saying, the man went away, sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So let's uh, just contrast these two things. We've got two stories. Um, I think they're, um, whether they happened right together or whether the writer put them together, but they're, they're linked together in several Gospels. I think they're illustrative of something else, um, supposed to tell us something. And I think, um, amongst other things, they're a contrast of kingdoms, and they want us to, uh, Jesus wants us to understand these different kingdoms as we get a picture of them. So the first kingdom has to do with the children. And so the first thing we see the children doing, we see them entering. Um, I like the word entering rather than coming. Their the parents brought them. So there would have been um, babies, perhaps, 
and some young children, it was fairly common for people to bring them to certain teaching rabbis for a blessing. Um, there, there's churches here in town that have annual blessings of the children, and they do these kinds of things. So there had been a, they were bringing them to them. Um, probably wasn't the first time. They are probably bringing them because this is what people did a lot. Um, you know, we, get, we just get these little pictures of Jesus, and you kind of wonder, he's walking through the fields, and he's walking through towns, and they're eating together, and they're having huge gatherings that went for hours and hours and hours. And I, I don't think he was just the, the stern teacher who sat somewhere distant from everybody. I think he was more the youth pastor as he passed through places. And I think he interacted with people, and we see it all the time. He interacts with adults. He interacts with children. I imagine that with, they did, they killed time. I mean, we remember ministering places, and you'd do a little Bible study, and then you'd play soccer with the kids, and then you'd do some teaching, and I think it's more like that. And so I imagine Jesus probably was known as someone, he's fun to be with. Um, the kids had been welcomed before. And so as the word goes out, everything else, it goes out here. And so the people are, are bringing these children um, to Jesus. And what you like about these, they just they enter right in. There was, um, we don't get any sense here that they had to check in or bring a ticket or anything like that. They just kind of rushed in like everybody was doing with Jesus all the time, pressing in. And they, they rush in. And the disciples begin to step in to prevent it from coming. But they just move in. Um, Jesus um, rebukes these guys because the uh, disciples hinder them. And Jesus, I think, says he wants them to come because he's got something to teach um, as, as well as blessing the kids. He wants to show something about the kingdom. Um, kids coming to Jesus who is known to be welcoming. And what's interesting about children, if you're a parent, we all know this, um, Children, um, until you teach them to do it because it's socially proper, they just rush in, right? Um, they, um, when, they, when they start learning right, then they, they wait. We used to make our kids, if they, they came and interrupted, we, we made them stand and they had to put their hand on our, our, our hip. And when they put their hand on our hip, then we would do something to acknowledge that they were there, and then, then we would address them at the appropriate time. So... I don't know if that was good parenting or bad parenting or I ruined my kids, whatever. But anyway, that's, that's what we did. So they weren't always coming in the middle of every conversation because that's what they would do. They would just come in, and if you're, you're like, oh, oh, okay, and you stop, whatever you're doing, and you've got to take care of it, rather than saying there's a way to do things. But children just rush in. Children just go in. They, they go to somebody's house, you're visiting, and you don't know them, and they just start going around the different rooms and looking around, don't they? They just explore and do their thing, and they don't think about it. And it's one of the neat things about kids. It's... Like I said, it creates troubles, but it's, I think it's welcomed here. They just show up and enter in. And there's no sense of, like, do we have to ask Jesus to get in his lap? No, we just do it. Can we all run around him and yell and scream and sing songs? And yes, just do it. And so we have the children, I love this word, they enter, they just come, and they just enter right into the middle of what's going on without any thought whatsoever. And the disciples are upset about this. They barge in. They barge in with enthusiasm, and they barge in with, I think, expectation that they're going to say, great, I'm so glad you're here, that kind of thing. Like when they barge in, they're gonna, everybody's going to feel good about it. The disciples don't feel good about it, but Jesus does. And they, I don't think it enters their mind that, oh, you can't be here, or you have to wait to come, or you've got to do something before you can come here. They don't have that thought about them at all. I mean, as a matter of fact, the adults that Jesus meets, um, 
They usually put something out there that there's some reason why they should be able to talk to him. The kids don't do that. They just come in. And they have expectation of just being received, a belief that they're absolutely welcomed and wanted. You know, Jesus says, come unto me, everybody who's weary. He doesn't say, you've got to do this first or anything like that. He just says, come. Um, just come. The uh, story that we, um, we looked at just a little while back when Jesus was uh, with the Lamb of God, and John says, there's the Lamb of God, and the disciples follow him, and they say, where are you sleeping? Jesus says, come and see. Just come and see. There's a, and it's open invitation, and kids get that. They don't even wait for it. They just enter. And so they enter right into the middle of it. The story about the, um, the rich young ruler is quite different. Um, as a matter of fact, just, just so you know, there's, there's a lot of people who believe the rich young ruler was actually Mark. And there's some, some indications that he could be. So if that's the case, and we don't know, then this is not the end of the story here. Um, something else happens to him. But um, he comes in verse 17, he sets on a journey. This man ran, runs up and kneels before him. So he tends to start doing the same thing. He just comes in. Um, and he kneels before him. There's this exchange about being a good, good, and Jesus says, why do you call me good? I won't go into that. Other than he's basically saying, yes, I am good, because I am God, is what the, the, the response here is. But he enters into this place. He comes sincere, I think. I think he came genuinely seeking to, to get his questions answered. I think he was genuine. Um, but it's interesting, he comes, not just enters in, he comes seeking to enter in. A little different. The children just show up. He comes along with this question of how can I enter because I'm not there yet. And although he's in Jesus' presence, there's that sense, um, he comes looking for a way in. He thinks that there's something he needs to do to fully step into that place. The children just come to Jesus. The rich young ruler um, comes to get something from Jesus. It's different. Um, I think it was sincere. I think he had a right heart. It says here that Jesus loved him. I think because he, he sensed that he was asking some of the right things. He wanted him to see what, he wa- what was important. But he comes seeking to get something, not just to come to Jesus. And what's more notable than him coming is the end of the story because we have him leaving. We have him leaving. He walks away at the end. And so he never really gets in, enters in Rather, what strikes us in the story is this man leaving, and he leaves sorrowful, and he leaves in a way Jesus did not want him to leave. It's interesting that scriptures say, narrow is the way, right? Um, I don't think the way is narrow because it's hard, but I think it's narrow because people don't see it. Don't see it. It's like when you're um, hiking and you're looking for that one path that's supposed to go somewhere, but it's not the main path, and you just miss it. You go right by it, you don't even notice it because there's some branches in it. I think the narrow way is kind of like that. Even though Jesus says it's hard, hard for a rich man to enter in the kingdom of God, he says it in the, following this passage. Um, but then he says, with God, everything is possible. As a matter of fact, with God, everything is easy is the indication. The path is narrow because it's, and it's not hard. It's just hard to see because we see some, we, we think that there's another way to enter and so you're looking for this certain kind of entrance into the kingdom, and really the entrance looks very different, so people will walk right by it. They just don't see it. The children just enter in. The rich young ruler has this picture of what it looks like, and so he's looking for it, and he misses what is offered 
by Jesus. The narrow way is seldom found, easily missed, because we're looking for something else instead. And so we have this first contrast. Children who just enter, and Jesus says, come along. And they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what he's going to bring. They bring nothing. They just join them. And then you've got the rich young ruler who's seeking to enter, um, who wants to get something um, from Jesus. You know, when I was um, younger, my dad, usually it was Friday evenings and Sunday afternoons. Sunday evenings was his time when he had a little bit of time. Um, the rest of the time he worked most of the time. But he would just, uh, he, he's like me, he didn't like just sitting somewhere. He wanted to go do something. So even though he was working all week, as soon as he'd come home, we'd want to go do something. So we'd go look at cars or we'd, you know, go somewhere and do something. So we, he, we, we would often, he'd go, hey, guys, come on, let's go. And we had, I remember having no idea where we were going. And this happened all the time. I never asked where we were going. I didn't care where we were going. Um, I didn't care if he drove 100 miles per hour, which he usually did, or if he drove the speed limit. I didn't know, care when we were going to get home. I didn't care the fact that I was hungry. I wasn't sure we were going to eat. I just didn't care. It was just, yeah, let's go. And we would just go with him. And we, I remember we would, we would oftentimes go down to uh, Maxwell Street in Chicago. It's kind of an interesting place where lots of stolen things are sold along the street, and there's always soul food cafes there. We would go to O'Hare Airport all the time back in the days when you could just walk anywhere in the airport you wanted to go, and we would just do weird things there. My dad would be goofy, and we'd just look around, and we'd just go, and we'd be out for hours and then come home. And there was this thing, there's this sense of just don't think about all the things you bring or all the things you got to ask or all the things you're wondering about or what you want to get or where are we going to go and can we get this and can we get that. Just, just go. Let's just, just come along and just be with me. And Jesus has that kind of invitation. So entering and leaving. Second contrast is the co- contrast between receiving and earning. Receiving and earning. Interesting, the children come here, and uh, the disciples hinder it, and then he lets them in, and they immediately get carried up in his arms, and they get blessed by him. Um, and they're just ready. They, they receive immediately the benefit of his presence, perhaps his laughter, um, and they didn't bring anything to get something. They come empty. Kids just bring noise and some hugs and a little bit of chaos and all that kind of stuff that comes with kids, and that's all they bring, just them, and they come and they bring nothing, nothing to offer, but they just receive the full benefit of the presence of Jesus unhindered. They come with nothing to contribute. I think that's significant. goes back to John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And the kids come to Jesus with absolutely nothing that they can really contribute. Ultimately, God does things in us, gives us gifts, he helps us do this, but initially we come to him with nothing to contribute. When we have nothing to offer, what's our only thing we can do? We receive, right? If I can't offer up anything, all that's left for me to do is either walk away or receive. Um, as long as I think I have something I have to contribute first, then I'm doing that before I ever think I can receive something else. There's a big difference between taking and receiving. Taking is when I'm entitled to something often or I've earned it. But the children here just receive Jesus' presence with gratitude and joy and just kind of an abandon of just enjoying his presence. The rich young ruler, on the other hand, um, has this idea that he must earn something. He says here, 
Um, it says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's got this idea that there's something he's got to offer. There's something he's got to contribute. There's something he has to do in order to enter the kingdom of God, enjoy eternal life. And so he comes seeking what that is. Jesus, and it's interesting, Jesus lists the commands. Do the commands save anybody? The answer is no, they don't. So why, why does he list them? It's interesting, he lists them all. As a matter of fact, he doesn't list all of them. Um, and uh, puts them out there anyways. And the, the man's answer is, I've done all these things. And it's interesting, at that point, Jesus, um, he doesn't reject that statement. It may not be true. It's not true because he was, had a love of riches. He was bound by them. There's covetousness or whatever, and nobody's kept all those anyways. Um, Jesus makes that very clear in the New Testament when he talks about what those commands are. Nobody's kept those. But there's a, uh, Jesus has his love for him anyways because I think he was sincerely thinking, I'm doing everything I can do to get there. Am I missing something? What do I have to still do to get there? His heart's right in this, but Jesus wants him to let go of that and understand he can't earn it or receive it. Giving up the riches, even though he calls him to do that, would not get him eternal life. All it does is it clears his mind so he can see the narrow way, which is I offer nothing, and Jesus opens the door for me. But he couldn't get to that place. Jesus wanted him to get to this place to say, I don't know about the commands. I can't do them. I can't get eternal life. I can do none of this on my own. And then Jesus would have an offer him to give him something to receive. But instead, the man came... um, thinking he had to earn something, so he had something in his hands. He thought he had to contribute something. And because his hands were full and trying to figure out what he could give, he wasn't ready to receive what was being offered to him. There between receiving and earning. He needed to see that he had not kept everything. That's important. But more importantly, he had to see that he was deeply broken and needy, just like we all are, and just say, I have nothing to give. I don't know what I could ever possibly do. And if this is the standard, I can't even do it anyways. And then he'd be ready to receive, but he doesn't. And because he has this idea that he has to earn it, what must I do? Um, he misses the very thing that's being there and that's being offered to, his, to him. Next contrast is free contrasted with hindered. And I won't say a lot about this. It's just obvious that children come um, free. What's the one thing that hinders the kids, the children? The disciples, men, men of the world. Um, they're, they're unburdened, ready to receive. And they're just, that's how kids are. Um, and uh, it's like the kids that want to get to the Christmas tree, man. They're ready. They're up early. They're ready to go. And the parents, no, we're not up yet. We're sleeping longer or whatever. We've got to do this first. We're going to read the story first or whatever it is, you know. I remember thinking, how long can this Christmas story go before we get to open the gifts? But they're, they're free. Um, and they just can enjoy it. There's, they're, they're not burdened by any sense that, these, that there's something else they have to do. Um, the, it's the, just the disciples that do the hindering. And when Jesus, what Jesus does with hindrances, he removes them for us. Um, he knows that we get blocked off and we get burdened, things weigh us down. So Jesus steps in really strikingly and removes the hindrances. 
um, from them walking in. As, as believers, we have to remove ourselves as hindrances, I think, sometimes to people coming into the kingdom. And Jesus removes the hindrances, but the rich young ruler comes burdened with hindrances. Um, they're, they're just um, weighing him down. He's prevented, at least by a couple of things. He's, he misunderstands the kingdom. Kingdom is something to earn. And he's hindered by this attachment to his riches that are preventing him from understanding um, what God wants to offer to him. And those two things are both hindering him. And Jesus wants to remove the hindrances from him. He wants him to see that the kingdom of God is quite different from what he thought. And that the, the riches, he wanted to get his heart to realize, either get rid of them or, or at least come to Jesus and say, I can't get rid of them. I'm too bound to him. Even that would have been a good response because then Jesus could step in and he says, I can do something about that. Yet, instead, he's hindered. Interesting, the book of James, it talks about the rich man um, in the first chapter. And the danger of the riches was not having riches because they can be a good thing. Riches can, um, money can free us from a fair number of trials, can it? So if I have no money and my tire blows out, I can't buy a tire, I've got a trial that's difficult. If I can just Put the, go pay for it and have the new tire, somebody come along and put a new tire on there, that trial is pretty quick. And so James actually talks about in the first chapter that the danger of the riches, the wealth is, that, not that wealth is a bad thing, but it can free us from so many of the trials that we don't benefit from the trials that God wants to bring, that bring us into dependence with him. And so this man is hindered by the riches, which can, for one thing, prevent him from fully experiencing the trials that God might want to bring in his life that would drive him to dependence. Instead, he gets everything taken care of and everything is fine. So Jesus wants to lift that from him. What he thought he was bringing, all these things that he had done, maybe even his idea that he, his wealth could get him something with Jesus was actually in the way. The very things that he thought he was bringing to offer were the very things that were hindering him from stepping in closer. And so Jesus looked at him, he loved him, and said, you lack one thing. He wanted to unhinder him, unburden him, him from that. It's like um, so that he could see the, this narrow way, but he couldn't do it. And then lastly, the contrast, very briefly, is the blessing and sorrowful. Interesting, the, the children get what? They get blessed, right? Jesus blesses them, places his hand on them. I don't know what that means, um, exactly what he did, but... Um, they went away filled and touched and full of experience from his presence. And this, this young man, this rich young man that Je- says Jesus loved, says he, he went away sorrowful. It's, very, it's such a sad statement. Um, it says he was disheartened. It was like, he, he was like, expectation, I'm going to get this thing. I've got everything I need to get this. Just tell me the next thing I've got to do and I'll have it. And then it's just all let down. Um, and I think he came to Jesus because he knew something was missing. There's something he lacked. And he went away, maybe even knowing what he lacked, or maybe knowing the cause of it, but he still went away. Um, and he goes away disheartened and downcast, um, for it says he had great possessions, and walks away. The difference between enjoying the kingdom and not. The indifference of 
the children who are a picture of what, how the kingdom of God works. Um, it's open. Um, it's welcoming. Um, it calls us to enter without having to offer up anything. As a matter of fact, anything I decide I want to bring to get into the kingdom doesn't do anything. I'm supposed to come empty-handed. As a matter of fact, I'm supposed to come knocking, going, I have nothing that would ever get me into this place. And Jesus says, that's what I want to hear. That's the people I'm looking for. And the rich young ruler operates on the other kingdom, that you, you come ready to give something. You earn something. You've got to do something. You, you contribute something. When you do it in that measure, you get something back. And that's how you get the kingdom. And that's not how we get the kingdom. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. You can go to the next one, Micah. And the last one there, yep. Um, the little picture on the side there is actually a picture I have that here somewhere. I just took a picture of this thing. When I was um, in college, I was um, on a missions thing in, in Europe, and this gal named Jerry Ann um, was at the, the youth hostel I was working at, and she drew me this picture and gave it to me. Um, and she said, this is, this is for you. This is what God wants to tell you. And um, I have spent, I have um, struggled to try to enter that place. And it's been a long, long time since she gave me that in 1979. Um, when Israel's a child, and I, lo- I loved him, the sense of just running into his arms, and I don't bring anything. As a matter of fact, I may even bring a bunch of mess with me. And um, I don't have anything to offer, although in the spirit he gives us all sorts of things. But there's this place where I come empty, ready, dependent, broken, needy, um, maybe joyful and ready and anticipating, but I just come. And he scoops us up in his arms, and it's like in this picture, and it holds close, and there's this sense of that's when we get to experience that kind of closeness. That's where we experience it. That's, that's where the kingdom of God gets opened up for us to participate in it. We, we, um, we're all adults here, right? <laughs> and we're supposed to um, grow up, and work hard and be responsible and don't not do those things. Those are good things. Um, and the idea of to be a child, even in this kind of sense, can feel unacceptable. It doesn't feel right sometimes. It just feels like you've got to do something. Um, Jesus expects me to do something. And he's going to feel this way about me when I do it. And he's going to feel this way about me when I don't. And that is not the way the kingdom of God works. It just doesn't. Um, and so be responsible and be hardworking, all those kinds of things. They flow out of a different place. They flow to this place of doing nothing and just coming to him um, and being brought up into his place and his presence. Um, there's no other way that we can live in the kingdom except as children. There's no other way to walk into 2014 except as children. Um, I got the picture. It came to my mind of the many times um, of coming home from somewhere and falling asleep in the car as a kid. Um, weren't those great days when you didn't have to think about anything? Somebody else is going to just take care of it for you. Um, but I remember falling asleep, and I remember waking up every now and then, and the car would be kind of jostling and moving. And I remember getting picked up, you know, by my mom or my dad and carried in, and I remember opening my eye a little bit and then going, kind of going back out again, going, I'm not moving, and um, getting carried and put to bed. Um, and I wasn't worried about, What's the traffic like, or who's driving, or what's the bump in the road, 
or who's going to get me to bed because I'm so tired I can't even hardly move anymore. Um, it was just a place to be. And you knew somebody was taking care of it that you could trust. And everything was cared for in that place. And that picture of being carried up in my parents' arms and carried in and never thinking anything about it, I think is a bit of the picture of the kingdom of God, what he wants to get for us. There's much to do this year. Um, We will know that the minute we walk out of here, it will rush in on us. There's all sorts of things to do, and good things, and things that God has prepared for us. Um, But it has to begin, and maybe not doing the wrong word, but it has to begin in that place, that spot, in that picture. That's where it begins. As a matter of fact, that's where our days have to begin. That's what Sabbath is about, to bring us to that place. That's where, in the midst of my day, I have to find places where I just going, I don't have anything to offer. And if you're not doing it, nothing happens today. And he says, this is, that's the kingdom. I'm here. And I'm going to do that work um, in your place. So a couple things. Resolve this year. And this will sound a little selfish, but it's not. Because when we, when we come to this place with him, you know what happens? We get empowered for God's work. Um, and Jesus was if anything, he was busy. He was doing. Um, there was all sorts of action, but it flows from a different place. So first and foremost, we have to do first things first. So resolve one, and whatever this looks like for you, um, to sit at Jesus' feet first before we serve. Sit at his feet even before we serve. That sounds bad, doesn't it? That just, that just sounds bad to me. You know, you serve first. That's what I always thought you'd do. You serve first. You know, sit at his feet before we serve. To embrace dependence first before demonstrating my great competence to do so many different things. Um, embrace the dependency first. Third, to enjoy the gifts he gives, or just one gift. It says we're blessed with every spiritual blessing, heavenly place in Christ. Learn to enjoy one of those gifts um, before offering up a gift. And let him pick you up first before all the work we have to do of picking other people up. And there's a lot of people we're supposed to pick up and step into their lives for. But we have to be carried up first. So resolve first to sit at his feet, to embrace dependence, to enjoy his gift, and to be picked up. And that can be a day-by-day-by-day-by-day activity. Cameron, if you could come up and uh, make your way to your guitar. Um, Cameron's going to close us. um, I'll probably pray when when Cameron's done. But he's just going to sing one song just for you to listen to. I don't think you've heard it before. And um, just let it be a meditation on um, how God accomplishes his work in us in the world. Because the end result of this is kingdom building. That's what God's doing. He wants us to include us as builders in his kingdom. Um, But it works different than we think it does. And it begins um, being children. And each day begins being children. And we're like children. Not only do we enjoy, and not only do we get empowered, but then his work begins to go out from us as we do it. Lord, I pray that you would just, um, maybe just a little bit, and I desperately need it, um, 
just so hard to get this one through. In little ways, we would find ourselves just hanging on to you and finding our place in that with nothing to offer. And then from that, Lord, I pray that you would just do your work, um, that it would overflow to the things that you call us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.